Okay, this morning again, we wrap up. Uh, I want to mention page 80. If you have one of these journals with you, again, Bethany, uh, very passionate about encouraging all of us, not just to come and hear on a Sunday morning and take in, which is so very important, but also kind of carry throughout our weeks reading and getting into God's word for ourselves. We put together a reading plan uh, to encourage you and help you out in that. So if you have those journals, give you a place to take notes there. We're on page 80 this morning. If you'd like one, head on out, off to the right there in the wall. They're free for the taking. Just ask that you use them. Now, here's where we've been at all summer long. It's kind of a bittersweet thing to wrap up a series, but all summer long, uh, we've been talking about this subject of wisdom. One of the things that I've discovered as a young pastor is one of the top prayer requests that I've been asked over my years in ministry have been generally revolving around the need for wisdom. Uh, Whether it's, again, wisdom in a broken relationship, wisdom on a direction to take in life, wisdom on kind of what school to take. Do I break up with him? Do I stay with her? Uh, Wisdom just, I need wisdom to get through my day. So we've been talking and uh, there's a book in the Bible called Proverbs, roughly 900 short pithy statements kind of packed in that book uh, that give us wisdom. Now what we've been saying wisdom is if you're the wisest person in this room, it does not mean that you're the most intelligent, the smartest, the brightest, or even the most talented. Matter of fact, if you remember back, if you were here in week two or you grab it online, what we've actually said is oftentimes the, the smartest In intelligence, the most talented, the brightest, often plays the role of the fool. Because as we talked about the fool, when truth shows up, I don't need it because I I am the truth, in essence, what the fool thinks. So when truth shows up, the fool kind of shifts the truth as opposed to the wise person adjusts themselves to the truth. So what wisdom really is, is the ability to live skillfully, to take in information, to take in knowledge, to take in kind of understanding and say, okay, this is what life is really about. And then the ability to take that understanding and live it out well. Now this morning, we're going to wrap this whole series up this coming week uh, on Thursday and Friday, roughly 40 people from Bethany are heading to the leadership summit. So we thought it'd be kind of cool as we end this series, let's end talking about leadership. Very important here at Bethany as a, we have a culture, healthy culture of leadership. But more than that, what I found interesting is um, the book of Proverbs, where we've been working all summer, really comes about. The reason we have it is because there was a man named Solomon who was a great leader. And because of his leadership, it's actually why we have the book of Proverbs. To help kind of illustrate that, then we're going to dive into this subject of leadership. If you turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, there in the seats in front of you, you will find a Bible. Page 282 is where you will find 1 Kings uh, in that Bible. Again, if you don't have a Bible, we'd encourage just say, hey, take that one home. It's our gift from us to you. First Kings chapter three. Here we're going to see the book of Proverbs comes about because of good leadership. It's, it's a kind of a cool story. First Kings chapter three. Let's start with verse three. We talked about this a little bit in week one. I, uh, Pastor Chris mentioned it one of his weeks, kind of talked about how this comes about. But here we go. Verse three, Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father, David, except that Solomon too offered sacrifices and burned incense at the local places of worship. The most important of these places of worship was at Gibeon. So the king went there and sacrificed 1,000 burnt offerings. That night, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, what do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. 
Solomon replied, you showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father, David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, here comes the request. Verse seven. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father, David. But I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. Pause. He's not literally an infant or an elementary age individual. He's saying, I'm immature. I've been called to lead these people. I've been called to be the king. I've been called to be the guy where the buck stops here. And I don't know how to do this. I am like a little child. I need help, in other words. So you continue reading verse 8. And here I am in the midst of your chosen people, a nation so great and numerous, they cannot be counted. So, so God, there are people looking to me. They're your people. They're not my people. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. So I want to lead well. And you're going to see in a minute in God's reply, he wants to lead with justice. So give me this, God. I need an understanding heart. And he wraps this whole request up for who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours. So do you see why Solomon's asking for wisdom? He's asking for wisdom because he's been called upon to lead. He's been called upon to lead God's chosen people. And he looks at it and says, this task is bigger than I am. God, I need help. Now the Lord's reply, look at verse 10. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you ask for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commandments as your father David did, I will give you a long life. So it's kind of that genie in the bottle moment. (laughs) Solomon, I'll give you anything you want. You obviously want something. You've been coming to my doorstep, offering a lot of sacrifices and worshiping me. What do you want? I'll give you anything. Now, he could have asked for a lot of money. He could have asked for his enemies and, and peace with them. He could have asked for a lot of things. He says, you know what? I'm called upon to lead. And I can't do it without you. Will you help me? Give me wisdom. Give me understanding. And God says, wow, I'll do that. And because that's your heart, I'm going to bless you with all the things that you didn't ask for. Now, Solomon, he kind of, you continue reading, he wakes up from this dream. He's like, well, was it just a dream? And then you have this record, I think, where it begins to validate that it wasn't a dream. You have this, it's a well-known story. Some of you have heard it before, but two women show up in front of Solomon. They're two prostitutes, the text records, and they both have children. They lived together, and in the middle of the night, one of them rolled over on her her infant child and killed the child. And so she kind of wakes up and realizes, I've killed my child, and she's struck with this horror, this terrible news, and she realizes, I've lost my child. So then she looks over at her roommate and says, well, she's got a child. They kind of look alike. You know what I'm going to do? So she takes her dead child, puts it in the arms of this other woman, and takes the living child, and they wake up in the morning. Now, this one over here wakes up, and she's like, oh, no, wait a minute. This isn't my child. I know this isn't my child. It says upon careful inspection. So they have to settle this thing in people's court, right? Well, they didn't have people's court back then, so they come into the king. And he's the one that begins to listen to their case, and they're going on, and they're arguing and having a little thing. And Solomon finally says, that's it. That's enough. I've heard it. I get the facts. Both of you claim this child is your child. Am I right? Yes. Both of you want this child. Yes. He says, bring me a sword. 
So servants bring in a sword. He says, well, you know what? Cut the child in half and you both take a part of him home. Immediately, this woman drops to her knees and is like, please don't do this. Anything, spare the life of this child. Solomon looks and says, the other woman's like, that's right, give me my child. Solomon goes, you know what? It's not your child. Because the heart of a mother will do anything to make sure her child's okay, even if it means losing her child and giving it up to the other woman. Great wisdom. And then chapter 4, if you look at chapter 4, verse 29, it reads this. God gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding and knowledge as vast as the sands of the seashore. In fact, his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the east and the wise men of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else. And he's going to name these really smart people of the day, including Ethan and the Ezraite and the sons of Mahol, Heman, Calcol, and Darda. His fame spread throughout all the surrounding nations. But you see the heart of this? I love this. Solomon understood the task is bigger than I am. I'm a child. God, these are your people, not my people. And you know what? I want to lead them well. Here's what I've come to learn. Great leaders. Great leaders are more interested in the success of others than in their own success. Because Solomon looked at these people and he understood who God was. He says, I want, you, I want this nation to succeed. I want these people to succeed. I am going to need help. This isn't about my wealth and my fame and my fortune. It's about these people, these chosen people of God. And then roughly 55 verses end up in Proverbs about leadership. And we're going to kind of unpack them this morning. But here's what I'd say. Those of you in this room, some of you pine away for the corner office. You want to climb the ladder. Some of you maybe are already sitting in that corner office. Never take the lead if you're not willing to see beyond your own needs. You can't see beyond what you, your own selfish desires and what you want. Because leaders have to give up what they would like to have in the comfort of their life at times because I've got to lay it down for the people I've been called to lead. Matter of fact, Solomon writes this in, in Proverbs chapter 30. It says, there are three things that make the earth tremble. So he says, there are these, I mean, this terrifies everyone. And he goes, actually, no, four that it cannot endure. So here are four things that we look at and think, man, that is a bad situation and we don't want to be anywhere near that. And here's he list them. Look at the very first one. A slave who becomes a king. And then he lists the others. I'll just mention them. An overbearing fool who prospers. A bitter woman who finally gets a husband. A servant girl who supplants her mistress. That first one. The world trembles when a slave finally rises to power. You say, what does that mean? We don't have slaves today. Well, here's what I've learned <laughs> As I've read and seen and watched the world and uh, even my own heart at times, you know why sometimes people want to lead? I can finally get even. I can finally run this company in a way that it should be run. I'm going to show these people how it's done. I'm going to finally rise to power and right all the wrongs. I'm going to lead with my agenda. And you know what? Now I can finally control my schedule and get off when I want to get off. And you know what? Now I can finally get the pay that's rightfully due me. I get the corner office or it's all about my ego and a person that takes lead for the wrong reasons are dangerous people. You don't want to be around them. What Proverbs really kind of points out then is this. Solomon kind of takes this and love and truth are the foundation of great leadership. These are the kind of leaders you want to follow. And this is the kind of leader you want to be someone who embodies love and truth. And I want to pause here a minute. I am talking about leadership across the board. 
You know, in the business context or the marketplace, some people look at that love word and think, Adam, that's a little warm and fuzzy. (laughs) Maybe you've gone to leadership classes or sat through um, phenomenal business leaders, and you never hear this word love talked about. You say, Adam, leadership's not a popularity contest. It's not soft. It's not warm and fuzzy. You've got to lead. And I'd say, well, (laughs) hang on. I think love and truth apply to all leadership. Here it is, Proverbs 20, 28. Unfailing love and faithfulness protect the king. Now, as you read through Proverbs, the king is the the leader reference. The king, the person, the buck stops here. I'm at the top of the, I mean, the top of the pyramid. It all comes, the decision maker, the CEO, the chairman of the board, the boss, the line lead, the, um, that buck stops here. Love and faithfulness protect the leader, the king. His throne, his office, his role is made secure through what? Through love. Matter of fact, I would go so far as to say this. If you do not love people, you should not aspire to lead. That's across the board. Whether you're in business, you're in a hospital, you're out putting buildings together, whether you're out on a warehouse floor, if you do not love people, I would say don't get into leadership because it's not going to work. And you guys know this. I mean, what kind of leader do you want to follow? Aren't you inspired by a leader who you know has genuine affection for you, right? I remember my coach and my, my very first real experience with a coach. I was moving from private school to public school, and my dad knew the, the coach of the junior high football team. So he introduces me to him out uh, in, in kind of the community. And this guy buttered me up. I mean, he, I think he looked at my body size and said, this guy's going to be great on the team. So he tells me how great I'm going to be, what position you want to play. I want to be a tight end. Man, you're going to be a great tight end. I guarantee you're going to start for us. And he's talking to me. Well, I got to the first day of practice, and I think he began to realize, oh, my gracious, he has no athletic ability at all. <laughs> but you know what? He promised me something. And as a kid, when you made a promise, especially like you're going to start at tight end, even though I can't catch and I got rocks for hands, He just delegates me to the offensive line. Now, I wasn't real fond of that at the time. Now, I've come to learn that's a cool position, and we can work with that. But more than that, not only did he flatter and make promises, he was a nasty man. He spoke cruel. He was harsh. But what I began to watch is this offensive line coach worked with me. I could sense genuine affection for me. I could sense he cared about me. Yes, he was hard, and yes, he required a certain standard of performance. And he was very hard but I knew he cared for me. You know, I've never, ever heard, I hated that coach, but man, I'd follow him to the ends of the earth. Have you heard anyone say that? I've never, ever heard my boss, man, she is an absolute, and you may put a naughty word in there if you want, but she is an absolute jerk, but she inspired me to do my best. Have you ever heard that said? What do we say? Man, my boss had the best interest at heart for me and for this company. She cared about me. He cared about me. And because of that, they inspire us and we lead well. We give them our best. Again, if you don't love people, do not lead. What I've learned about this is all people are created in the image of God. And what that means is that all people are created to be autonomous, to rule and to reign. So when I, as a leader, step in to seek to control, it doesn't work. The role of a leader is not to control. Oh, yes, you want outcomes. 
you want to drive and, and help your, your profit loss margins and you want to get through, yes, you want to drive certain things, but you cannot control people. I can't control people. You know, I cannot expect others to change. The only person I can really control is who? And you know what? Some days that's in doubt. <laughs> it's in real doubt. I can't control you. I can't control my kids. I can't, I can only control me. So I've got to learn as a leader. Please hear this. I've got to learn as a leader to delegate authority, not just task. I don't just tell people what to do because I want an outcome. I give them the authority to do it. I set them free. It's the greatest way to love people in your organizations. Those of you who lead, set them free. Give them the authority to lead. Give them the authority to make mistakes and to, and to live out their God-given image. It's been stamped in their heart. The other thing I'd say is this. The other thing I've learned is be a servant. You say, well, how do you do that as a leader? And this one, there's all kinds of things we could share in this. The number one thing I heard came from Andy Stanley, a pastor, gets leadership through and through, a pastor down in Atlanta. And here's what I've learned. I've taken his practice and I've tried to make it my own. And I do this, I think, with just about everyone that's a direct report to me. I say, okay, leadership is all about influence. That's what leadership is at the very core. So those that are direct reports to me, I ask if I can leverage my influence in just one area to make you successful, what would it be? What would it be? Would it be to share platform space? I mean, what what is it that you need from me? Would it be to help? I mean, what is it that you need me to leverage to help you be successful? But again, love and faithfulness. Care for the people you lead. Faithfulness is an interesting one. What I've learned about leadership is leadership requires a lot of that. Tenacity, grit to stick it out. I was a kid, we, uh, we used to go up to my grandparents' cabin. They had a cabin up in um, uh, Mifflin County, kind of over towards Huntington County. And there was this long kind of gravel road that would kind of take you back to the cabin. And we'd go out and hike on that road at times. And I remember coming up around a corner. I was, I was small. I was young. And there's this putrid smell. I mean, it's horrible. Uh, and it's clear that there is a skunk somewhere up the road that has been flattened. And so I'm listening to everyone talk as a kid. Now, I've never seen a skunk up close. I wasn't even quite sure what a skunk was. I remember this kind of vividly. And we come up around the corner and we see it. I see this skunk spread eagle like it was just flattened right there in the road. And everyone goes, oh, my word, I smell skunk. And now there's this cute little statement that still runs around our family. I go, I smell gunk too. So there's this statement, I, I smell gunk. Now, what I've come to realize is there are a lot of days as a leader, I feel like that gunk. I have been flat run over. Talk to anyone who's led anything worth anything, and you will hear them tell horror stories, war stories, where you've got to remain faithful. You've got to be resilient. Leadership is not easy. Not everyone is going to like you. You may love them. They may hate you. You're going to have to make decisions that aren't popular. You can't be a representative. I cannot stress this enough. It's not like our U.S. government. We hire representatives to represent the special interest groups. Leadership doesn't do that. Leadership says this is where we have to go because it's the best thing. It's what God's called us to. And it's hard. And you've got to bounce back and you've got to stay the course when you're attacked and betrayed and there's setbacks and there's unmet expectations and disappointment and unrealized vision. And on top of all that, there's flat-out personal failure and sin on your own part. So you got to love people, stay resilient, stay faithful. Because you know why? Too much is on the line. There's a lot of verses about this that say when an evil king takes the reign, man, people go into hiding. Here's one I love, Proverbs 16, 15. When the king, when the leader smiles, 
leaders in the room, understand the, the power that you have. When a king or the leader smiles, there is life. His favor refreshes like a spring rain. Man, when your leader smiles and boy, it makes such a difference. So love and truth. Now with truth, there are a number of verses in Proverbs that capture this one. And I want to just kind of talk about one. And that is the ability to hear feedback. What I've learned from leadership is sometimes we leaders fear reality. We're just afraid of it. And I'd say this, if you're a leader, reality is your greatest ally. Persistently chase it. Go after it. Proverbs eleven fourteen says it this way. Without wise leadership, a nation falls. There is safety in having many what? What is it? Listen to the people around you. There's safety in that. There's good leadership in that. Proverbs 29, 12 says it this way. If a ruler pays attention to liars, all his adversaries will be, all his advisors will be wicked. You say, well, how do you pay attention to liars? You know how you do it? You surround yourself with the people that tell you what you want to hear. And you're going to hear lots of lies. Flattery. They're not going to tell you the truth. They aren't going to tell you the hard things that you need to hear. They aren't going to tell you what's really being said out on the floor by the people or out in the, in the production line. They're just going to tell you what you think you want to hear. I've heard it say this way, pity the leader caught between unloving critics and uncritical lovers. Pity that person. Henry Cloud goes to say this way. Here's, here's what I've kind of learned to do as a leader. I've begun to understand that when Chris, who's a direct reporter of mine, you guys know Chris or Grant, you met earlier, Rachel, when they come in to talk to me and I seek advice from them, I've come to learn that they only give me 90% of the truth. You do the same thing. With your husband, with your wife, with the people that you love, we always hold something back, right? Well, if I say that, that could really hurt them or what that could come back on me or I don't know if that's the right timing. Or we, we always hold that little piece back. We're going to have a whole series coming on this uh, at the end of this year. Uh, but the Proverbs talk about this regularly. You know what I'd challenge you to do if you're a leader? Go after that extra 10%. Be humble enough and say, I need to hear the extra 10. What, what are you holding back? Share it with me. I need to hear it as a leader. And leaders, I'd say this way, learn to be vulnerable. Don't fear exposure because if you're a leader, you're already dancing on the table naked. You say, that's a strange image, Adam. And it would be. Looking up here, you're like, whoa, Adam, that's not... You ever hear the little kid's story where the king hires someone to weave together these amazing clothes and the guy dupes him and takes all the king's money and he doesn't weave any clothes. Then Then he puts this nothing on the king and the king's like, man, these are amazing clothes. And really he's completely buck naked. And then they go out and march through town and, and everyone's just like, wow, look at the king. Look at these great clothes. And finally that little child pipes up and says, he's naked. And everyone's like, oh my goodness. I didn't realize that he's truly naked. As a leader, you're out in front, you're up in front. People see your stuff. I don't know how else to say it. They see it. The people I lead, they see it. They know I'm messed up. Now, I got to be honest about it. I have to take responsibility for it. I have to lead through it. I have to lead change in those areas. But man, learn to be vulnerable. Seek that feedback and that advice. Now, so love and faithfulness, love and truth. Now, Some of you in this room have already tuned me out because you're like, I'm not the leader, Adam. I don't ever want to be the leader. I don't want anything to do with it. Well, Proverbs gives you some help too. This is cool. Proverbs talks about how to respond to those I I have to follow. 
I mean, how do I live successfully with the leaders in my life? Well, Proverbs has a lot to say. Actually, Proverbs says more about this than it does how to lead. First thing I'd say, how to successfully, and this is, applies to all your work contexts. I think it would apply to your home. It applies to any place where there's a leader. Have a pure heart and gracious speech with your leader. Here's some of the verses. Proverbs 22, 11. Whoever loves a pure heart and gracious speech will have the what as a friend. What's it say? You want to win the graces of your boss, of your supervisor, of your teacher, of your coach? Right now you feel like you're like this with him or her? Well, here's what it says. Pure heart. We've talked about that a lot this summer. Guard your heart, Proverbs 4 says. Take care of that thing and have a gracious tongue. And you're going to, man, your leader is going to be your, one of your good friends. Um, second verse, Proverbs 16, 13. The king is pleased with words from righteous lips. He loves those who speak honestly. Leaders don't like liars. They don't like flattery. <laughs> Tell them the truth. Speak right. Don't come with malicious intent and, and deception. I mean, just come and say, hey, this is, this is what's going on out on the floor. Next one, patience can persuade a prince and soft speech can break bones. Again, gracious speech. Be patient. Be persistent. Look at what it does. It persuades a leader. You know, sometimes you want to bust into that corner office screaming and yelling. I'm going to let him or let her have a piece of my mind. What well, doesn't work? You know what you've effectively done? You've written yourself off. They're like, well, forget that person. So again, patience, soft speech. The final one is this. Trustworthy messengers refresh like snow in the summer. That's an interesting picture, but it's kind of like if you're out working hard, you know, sweat it to get it, that Gatorade. Man, a cold drink, refreshing when you're out working and you're grunting it out and you're sweating. They revive the spirit of their what? employer. Man, you revive their spirit, man, they're for you. And you build that trust and that relationship. So again, a trustworthy messenger. So don't be gossiping. Don't be running around the office or running around the warehouse talking about, you know, just be trustworthy. Let them know you can be trusted. The second thing, so pure heart and a gracious speech. The second thing I'd say, be competent and work hard. Now this seems like just common sense, right? (laughs) You want to win the favor of your, your, those who lead you? Be competent and work hard. Lazy people irritate their employers. Like, this is funny, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke in the eyes. You ever that campfire that fires up and that smoke comes up? And what do you do? You get your chair around to the other side, right? I don't want that smoke coming in my eyes. And, and you know, you go to bed smelling all smoky and nasty. I mean, smoke, it's, it's irritating. Lazy people irritate their employers. If you're lazy, I promise you, your employer is not going to be a real fan of you. So you want that good relationship. You want to follow the lead. Be work hard. Proverbs 22. Do you see any truly competent workers? Now, this is cool. They will serve kings rather than working for ordinary people. You want a promotion? You want to step up a level? You want to win the favor of the corner office? Be competent. Now, the word competence is an interesting word. It could actually read, do you see any truly quick workers? Quick and competent, kind of the same thing. So here's what competency is. When I'm competent, I can do it like it's second nature. It just happens. Well, how do you get that? Well, you take courses, you work at it, you practice, you you give your time to the point where it just becomes second nature. Maybe it's a database system, a new system you got to work through. Well, give the extra time. 
Ask the boss to take some things home so you can really kind of get it down. So, man, I got this to the point where it's second nature and I work hard at it. Competently, work hard and you're going to have the king as a friend. The final one, and this is what we're going to end with. Now, this is an interesting one. This is going to bring us back to where we started. Fear God. That's how we started this whole series. Have awe and reverence and respect and yet an intimacy with God. We talked about that. That is the foundation of all wisdom. But Proverbs actually says, don't just fear God. Look what it says. My child, fear the Lord and who? You say, well, is that a different fear? That's the exact same word. Fear the Lord and the king. (laughs) What's that mean? Then he goes to give some other instruction. Don't associate with rebels for disaster will hit them suddenly. Who knows what punishment will come from the Lord and the king. This verse reminds me, write it down, maybe look at it this week. Romans chapter 13. God says, all leaders I've put in place for a specific purpose. (laughs) And, And this language is very similar. So so fear him, respect him, honor him. I have put him or her in that role. For you to disrespect and you to kind of throw off is is actually is is a grave, serious deal. In fact, Proverbs 29, 26 will say this too. Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice comes from the Lord. Now, this is interesting because it says so often, oh my goodness, our president is horrible. He made such a terrible decision. The Supreme Court did what? Or and we get this worry because we put so much hope into our leaders. Boy, election season coming around, I hate it because I hear all this doom and gloom and the country is just head. I don't know where our country's headed. Godly leaders, Proverbs say, take reign. We're, we're going to be set up for success. If they don't, bad things happen. I get that. But too many of us put our hope and our trust in our leaders. And we want life from our leader. They're going to right my wrong. They're going to see my plight. They're going to take care of me. God says, no, 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 no. Trust the Lord. He'll take care of you. Here's the one to really test you in this. Do you really fear your boss? Do you respect him? Give him gifts. I mean that. Give him gifts. Giving a gift can open doors. It gives access to who? Important people. Next one, Proverbs 19.6. Many seek favors from a ruler. Everyone is the friend of a person who what? They say, well, these are interesting verses. That means give, her, give me gifts, right? That's why I put these up here. Just kidding. Some of you got the joke. It was just a joke. Don't worry. Here's why this is a big deal. 20 verse, chapter 29, verse 4 clearly says bribery is a no-no. But this is different. You know what I've come to learn in my own life? We love to give things to people who are needy. Boy, that makes us feel good. I met a need. I helped them out. I stepped in and served in a way that made a difference. But giving to people who don't have a need, giving to your boss who actually makes more money than you, giving to your boss who um, you're sometimes not a real fan of, boy, that says you got something else in your heart that's genuine and real. I think it also says when I can give generously and I can live with open hands and I can give my stuff away, it says I truly fear God. 
We talked about this in week one. It's kind of recap, and this will kind of close down our whole series. Week one, remember we started out and we say the fear of God is the foundation of wisdom, is the foundation of life. But too often what Romans 1 says is we make this exchange. God's saying, okay, Adam, here I am. Worship me. Love me. Give me your all. And then we look over here and we see life, and we see husbands and wives and special relationships and kids and families and houses and boats and cars and jobs and fame and money and technological stuff. And and we're like, man, but God, but God, I want this stuff. And what we begin to do is we say, God, I hear you. I hear you say that your life, but this stuff here is what I really want. And our hearts begin to make this exchange. We say, I'm going to come here, God. And you know what? Actually, God, we make this exchange. It says, I'm going to take your creation instead of the creator. So Romans wants is at the heart of when we fearing God begins to break down. I want his stuff. But when I can live with saying, man, God, I worship you. And then he blesses me with stuff. I live with open hands saying it's just a gift. And I give to others, not just those who are needy, but I give to the people in my life, the leaders in my life. I'd also say this. I think we understand what Jesus has done for us. Why I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me and he richly blessed me. And we understand what we have in Jesus. If you have Jesus, we'll begin to get our heads around. Oh my goodness. I am now a son, a daughter of the, of the creator of heavens and earth. I am now like this with God because of what Jesus has given me and I have all the spiritual riches given. And we're like, wow. And in turn, the scriptures say we become generous people. So that's why I end with this. When you fear God, when you really fear God and you have adequate respect for your boss, I think you're going to give him gifts. It's one of the greatest practical tests of how you're doing with your leader. When's the last time you gave him a gift, a thank you note? Maybe some of you need to go home and write that this afternoon. Maybe stop in Turkey Hill tomorrow because you get, you get gas points for this and buy a cool little gift card. It's a little selfish motive in there for yourself. And, but buy them an iTunes or a Google Play or just a $10 card that says, hey, you know what? We've had a tough month. Our numbers haven't quite been where they need to be and you've stuck it out and you've really been beside us. And I know it's not always been great between us, but thanks for leading us. Give them a gift. Say thank you. And if you're a leader, the challenge for you Do you love people? If you're in the role of leadership, do you love people? If you don't, do some work. Maybe resign, step away. If those of you who seek leadership roles to get to that corner office, if you don't love people, quit running after that role. Here's where we want to end. I want to end the whole morning with the whole series with this. The book of James Chapter one has a verse. Now this verse sits in the context of hardship. This verse sits in the context of when suffering comes upon you, smile on it, take joy. Okay, this is where this verse sits. It says, when you're in those hard times and you don't quite know what to do, maybe you're that leader that's been run over, you're flat on the road. Man, I've been punched in the gut. Maybe your hardship is a relationship, someone you live with. Maybe your hardship is someone in your family who you can't quite figure this relationship out. Maybe your hardship is, I'm not quite sure what to do in the future. I'm not sure where the next paycheck's going to come from. Do I go to this school or do I go to... And, and again, in the context of all that, this verse shows up. James chapter 1, verse 5. It says, if you need... What's it say? Say it. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will what? Give it to you. This is an awesome promise. He will not rebuke you for asking. He's not going to be upset. He's going to say, thanks. 
The next verse then goes on to say, and the next verse says, listen, and when you ask, ask with faith. Come to God, fearing him, loving him, knowing that he is the source of all life. Don't be tossed around and, and, and looking for, just come to me and ask. So I thought how we'd end this whole series is, you know, not just talk about leaders, but just bring the whole series to a close. Let's ask God for wisdom. And what a cool way to, God, I need it. How we started this morning. What did Solomon do? I am a little boy. I've been called to lead and God, I don't know what I'm going to do or how I'm going to do it. I need your help. And God gave him the answer. So here's where we're going to end. This week, we go to the leadership summit, Thursday and Friday. One of the things that I've seen there a few times, and we're going to try it this morning, Bill Hybels, as a, a pastor's heart, steps in the stage one time during those two days, and he speaks to the inner person. And he says, man, we need, we need an intervention. We need the Spirit of God to step in and touch us. And he says, if you're brave enough, if you're brave enough, leadership's hard, you've run a hard course, if you're brave enough, and you truly want to stand to your feet and say, God, I need your help. Stand up. So what I'm going to do this morning, what I want to do is I want to actually extend that offer to you. I want to close by praying for those of you who specifically say, Adam, it's been a great summer and I need wisdom. I need it. Again, I don't, you don't need to tell me what it is. No come in front, just right in your seat. So I'm going to ask you right now, if you say, Adam, I need wisdom. Would you be brave enough just to stand? And say, I need it. I need wisdom. And you don't need to stand. Not all of you have to stand. But some of you this morning say, you know what? I need wisdom. Can I ask you to do one more thing? Those of you who are standing, maybe just reach out if the person beside you is okay with this. If not, just brush their hand away. They'll be, they'll be okay with that. Just reach out and put your hand on their back or on their shoulder. Let them feel a human touch. Something powerful in that. Just put your hand there. And let me. And what I want to do now is I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for this verse for you, and I want to pray with everything I have in me to say, God, give us wisdom. God, thank you so much for Jesus Christ. Thank you, as this verse says, that you're a generous God who gives freely when your children come looking to you for life. You did it with Solomon, and God, we trust you to do it with us. God, each person that stood up here this morning, I just cry out to you for them. God, I don't know what's in their heart and their life right now, what it is they're asking for wisdom for. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's something, their job that they're facing. Maybe it's something with their kids and their parenting. Maybe it's something between their husband or their wife. Or maybe it's just God living day to day. They're realizing, I need wisdom. God, give them wisdom. God, may they fear you more than anything else. May they love you. May they come to you to find life in the person of Jesus and him alone and grant them the gift of wisdom. God, thank you for being a generous God. Thank you for a gift of Proverbs we can gain nuggets of wisdom. God, thank you for each person that stood. God, would you bless them this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.